Welcome to Beauty Uncut, the podcast. I'm Kayla. And I'm Ian. And we're here to bring a new perspective to beauty, health, and wellness. Well, today's episode is all about the future of aesthetics and beauty and cosmetic and all of the above. And reason being is because you're actually speaking at a conference on Monday when this episode will be released all about the future of aesthetics. Yeah, that's right. It's the Beauty and Spa Insiders conference in Sydney. Mm -hmm. It's just a one day event and there's going to be lots of different speakers there. I'm actually participating in a panel discussion talking about the future. And so I think there are five or six others involved and we're all talking about different aspects of where we see this industry going. Yeah. And we've been speaking about this in-house a lot about the way the industry is going. And we've spoken about it on the podcast as well about how, you know, we're seeing a trend of people going less the injectable route and now going to be like, they're now focusing on skin health and advanced modalities and working on the foundations of the skin before injecting. But we also do a lot of regenerative medicine as well. And I think that's the way that the future's going as well, all about the biohacking and things like that. Yeah, I think part of it is that people are actually discovering what else is out there besides injectables. I think I've said to you before, I still think there's a big part of the general population that thinks toxin and filler are the only things you can do. And that's why people are so resistant to treatment because they say they don't want to look like that. But yeah. they don't realize that there are so many other options out there, not only in the non-surgical space, but the regenerative medicine space, which I think you've probably had a bit more exposure to than a lot of people in the industry, just purely because of the work that I've been doing. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the work that you do and the way that you think the industry is going? Yeah. So I talked about it on the first episode when we started this season about internal aging and internal health and how a lot of that drives what is shown externally. So a little bit of background, I guess, into the work I've been doing in regenerative medicine. I started off probably seven or eight years ago working with stem cells. And I think a lot of people were looking at stem cells at the time, thinking it was going to be this amazing revolutionary new thing. And the applications that have been discovered for it are actually quite revolutionary, but it's not the magic bullet. So right. it's not the one thing that's going to solve everyone's problems. And so with stem cells, we realized that there were limitations on what you could do aesthetically. So a lot of the work that I do is actually musculoskeletal with stem cells in terms of regrowing cartilage in joints. So treated a lot of knees, shoulders, hips. So all for like joint pain. That's right. right. Yeah. So osteoarthritis, because essentially that's breakdown and, and wear and tear of the joint. So when you lose that cartilage layer, there's not really anything that's going to bring that back. And so prior to stem cell therapy, a lot of people were using a product called Synvisc, which is hyaluronic acid and injecting that into the joint just as a cushion. And so now with stem cells, you can help to regrow that cartilage back and provide that cushioning without constant need for HA injections. So after stem cells, we moved more into the acellular space because when you're using cells that are what we call allogeneic, so they come from someone else as opposed to autologous, there's always that risk of reaction, right? Because it's a foreign body, essentially. There's different antibodies on it. So we moved into the acellular space to try and avoid reactions. So as you're getting smaller, you're going from cells to cytokines. And cytokines are essentially ingredients that are in the cell that do certain things. So there's hundreds of them. They all do different things. And you have some that are pro-inflammatory when you want to create that reaction and some are anti-inflammatory when you want to reduce 
inflammation wherever you are. So if you're talking about injecting these into the skin for rejuvenation, you obviously want some pro-inflammatory factors to cause a reaction because anti-inflammatory is not going to stimulate your system to do anything. Right. So it's all, it all comes down to how you manipulate your body to improve itself. Right. So that is what regenerative medicine is about is using. That's right. You're not really adding anything, but you're using ingredients that are there already yeah and you're just adjusting and your body's dosages. doing the actual work that's right and you're putting it in places where it needs to go allowing it to to do its work yeah so after the stem cells it was plasma so can stem cells be used you were saying you inject it in knees and things like that for mm-hmm. arthritis but were stem cells ever used in topical skincare or injected into the face for collagen yep. stimulation yep so a lot of people did try the topical we tried topical as well but what you need is for that cell to be carried through into the layer that matters which is the dermis right and so then that's where you're going to get your fibroblasts and your collagen production happening the cells are too big right so you can't carry them through so that was the topical aspect was abandoned pretty early on then there was the injectables so you could inject the stem cells into the layer that you wanted so into the dermis and you're using it like a skin booster or a filler in some cases and that worked really well I think a lot of people still do that, but the problem around stem cells is regulation. Yes. And Australia, as you know, is so strict and we don't have stem cells in Australia, right? We do. Oh, we do. There's only one facility authorized to perform stem cell treatments now, and that's in Sydney. Right. So prior to the the strong regulations coming in, I think this was just pre-COVID, you could harvest fat. This is where most people get their adult stem cells from. Mesenchymal stem cells come from adipose tissue. So you do a small liposuction procedure, send that fat to the lab and the main lab that was processing it was in Melbourne. They would send you back your cells. And then you would inject them back into the skin. That's right. And then the government were like, sorry, no, bye. Yeah. So then the, the regulations came in whereby you couldn't send the fat. It had to be processed in the same facility where it was harvested, right. it had to be harvested in a fully accredited facility, so a hospital of some kind. And at the time, you had a lab as a separate business, you had the hospitals as a separate business, there was no place with everything all in one. And so the lab in Melbourne, they did partner with a hospital in Sydney to create this. So they built a lab there on the same premises. And that's the only place now where you can have stem cell treatment. And do for they, cosmetic reasons. Oh, right. So what kind of stem cell treatments are they doing? Are they just injecting it or are they using it topically? Oh, well, topically it so doesn't the, work. So they're just injecting it. Okay. Yeah. So either either for musculoskeletal or for like in the, in the in face. In the face. Yeah. Okay. After stem cells and after the... Cytokines. Cytokines. Yeah. So cytokines are plasma. So if we talk about plasma treatment, even, that PRP? even PRP, yep. that's a cytokine treatment, but that's a, an autologous cytokine treatment. So... When you have autologous treatments, you're relying on the quality of the cytokines. And if you are an aged, unhealthy person, your cytokines are going to also be aged and unhealthy as opposed to getting them from somewhere else. The source, obviously, that we look at now is umbilical cord because it's the freshest plasma. And so the cytokines there are the healthiest, the best quality. And so we're doing still a lot of research, mainly overseas, about how to apply these things. And so we've actually replaced stem cell treatment in a lot of aspects with the plasma from umbilical cord. Ah, 
And so what results can you see using umbilical cord stem cells as opposed to doing like a PRP treatment in clinic using your own? Yeah. So with PRP, a lot of clinics were treating, let's say, osteoarthritis. So a lot of people were doing knee injections with that also. And I, when I first started my career, was doing some of that. I found it to be hit and miss with people's results. Sometimes they would get a good result. Sometimes they would not. Sometimes they would get a, a worse result. They'd get some more inflammation. With the umbilical cord treatments, what we're seeing is almost 100% benefit, but there is a period where they flare very badly early on. And so I think these, we're, we're injecting both the pro-inflammatory and the anti-inflammatory cytokines. So they get this initial flare and then it settles down and the pain's just gone. Right. So you're talking about knees. What about face? Like if you're injecting yeah. PRP or needling PRP into one side of the face mm. and then you're doing the, and so you're going to see. So I haven't done a split face comparison, but again, with what we've seen using the umbilical cord, a lot more consistent results. Yeah. So I think when you inject that, you can expect, and I think the patient can expect to have a benefit as opposed to saying, you this might, might benefit, work. Yeah, might we're not. not sure how it's going to go. Right. Yeah. So are we talking, is this exosomes or no, this is not. not, Oh, okay. Sorry. So cytokines. So as, as we've been moving along, we've been getting smaller and smaller with the molecules that are being injected. And so exosomes are the the next big thing or the next small thing, I should say, because you're going smaller from the cytokines. You're really looking at just the signals. So you're taking the individual signals and using them in the same way. So the effects are all the same. The applications all the same, but the stability of that product is going to be better. Because if you think about it, comparing a cell, which is you know, a very complex thing, they have to have certain conditions to survive. Whereas the exosomes, you can do a lot more with them. You can freeze dry them, you can make them into a powder, you can inject them. So um, the practical applications and things like transport and storage, all of that becomes easier. And also you've got the pure product as opposed to extracellular things like cell walls, all of this becomes like cellular, cellular rubbish, even though it's small, it's when we're talking about the scale we're working on, then you don't want that extra stuff. So it's a lot more concentrated form of. Essentially, essentially you're taking the ingredient, the active ingredient out and then you're using that. And are you seeing same? like, would you be seeing the same results as PRP or are you seeing better results? Like, are you seeing, obviously it's, 100% guarantee that you're going to see results? Well, yeah. So, of course, in medicine, we can't ever say 100% guarantee. But the thing about exosomes is that you are getting it from a different source. So you're always getting an allogeneic product here as opposed to an autologous product. So depending on the company that where you get your exosomes from, that depends on the source of their plasma. And if you're using umbilical cord, using, you know, newborn plasma, basically, then you're going to get a better result than using your own PRP. Okay. And so again, what are you seeing when you're injecting exosomes? I'm still very new to exosomes PRP. I don't really know a lot about them. So if you think about what we're doing, uh, things like collagen induction with RF microneedling, all of that mechanism where we're creating a controlled response, inflammatory response so that your body builds up, we're doing that. We're creating that response with the exosome, but then the exosome also is repairing. Right. So- when you're doing it with microneedling, you're creating that response. Your body, Stimulus. your body's resources are repairing. 
with the exosome, you're creating the response, and then you're also putting that extra thing in there to repair more efficiently. Okay. And is that all exosomes do? In terms of cosmetic application, that's what they're being used for now. And the other thing is topical. Because they are so small, we can now get them through the skin into the dermis where they belong. So, As opposed to them needing to be injected. Exactly, exactly. So they don't necessarily need to be injected. They can be in a cream. Again, how you formulate that cream will depend on the stability of the product, whether you mix it in at the time of application or whether it's just on the shelf like your other products. So all of this is still ongoing research and how we can make it more efficient for people. The other thing about exosomes and maybe the big draw that a lot of people haven't thought about is with PRP, you're getting a blood draw every time. You're not going to take that blood, prepare your PRP, and then just have a product you can use forever. You're going to need to have that blood taken and spun down. With exosomes, you are buying a product off the shelf. No need for needles. And so that's a big nice, thing for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And what about plant-based exosomes? And then obviously the human-based exosomes. What are the differences? And well, are there any differences? Yeah, there's definitely differences in the makeup of the exosome. So a lot of them, there is some crossover. So you do have that commonality, but I would need to bring in someone who's more science-based than me to talk about those differences. Well, maybe we can do another episode. I, I think we should because a lot of people are, you know, really going for plant-based exosomes and they say, this is the way to go. And others are very firmly in the human exosome camp because that's what we are. Yeah. All right. Well, we've hit exosomes. Do you think there's anything more in terms of regenerative medicine? I do. I do. The The big thing that I've been talking about for a long time, as you're aware, is TPE. Yeah. So therapeutic plasma exchange. And this is an old slash new treatment. We're using it for, for new things. A lot of the research around it has been in treating autoimmune disorders. And what we're looking at now is longevity. And so I work with a immunologist in the US. He's been researching it for over 30 years in this space and making some great advances in terms of longevity and health span. So we've talked about health span before being an increase in your lifespan. So length of years that you live, but also an increase in the length of years or number of years that you are healthy. So does it increase like the quality of life that you're having as well? So does it help with like, um, brain like you know when you fit when you get older i'm not even old but i'm just i'm feeling older you feel like run down and tired you get that brain fog your body starts to hurt ache does it help with all of that it does it does so the theory so it's called a, a reductive theory of anti-aging and what that means is you're taking away bad things as opposed to administering things so in the world of medicine everything is it, this is one of the few treatments where we're actually taking things away and then allowing your body to just do what it does more efficiently so if you think about aging in terms of that chronic inflammation, that inflammaging, you have this buildup over time in your system. And if you can remove that and allow your body to regenerate as it should, then you're going to freeze that aging process or slow it down severely. And eventually we're looking at moving it backwards. So right now we talk about let's get more years, you know, let's say the average age that people live to is 80. If we can push that to 100, if we can push that to 120 or 130, that's where we're going with this. Whilst also giving them a better quality exactly. of life, not just being bedridden. Exactly. Because that's the thing I think people automatically think about when we talk about living beyond that, those 80s, 90s, 100s. 
they can't see that you can do that and still be healthy. Yes. And so this is exactly where we're going. I don't think anyone wants to increase their years of living in a hospice or in bed and as a, an invalid. Yeah. I think that's, I think we can go into like a, yeah. another episode yeah. about that. Yeah. But I, I really would like to get Dr. Kiprov on the podcast sometime to talk a bit more about his research and how he's doing it because it's really amazing stuff. And in Australia, as I said, we're one of the first to be doing it here using his protocols. We are the only ones using his protocols here. Yeah, super interesting. So your was your all about regenerative medicine. Yeah. yeah, my my way of thinking about the future in anti-aging and and cosmetic medicine really is all about looking inward and fixing those problems to allow for a better appearance. You've got a different approach. Yeah, like I'm on the same page as you. Like mm. I definitely think the way the industry going is going is more regenerative medicine and stimulating our own collagen and elastin and things like that. But I also feel like at the moment there's an increase in sexual health for women. Mm. I think the next trend will be a sexual health treatments for men. Right. Okay. I feel like men always get left behind and then they slowly like trickle on in and then there's like new treatments. In, the, in this space you mean? In yeah. this space. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the focus is women and now we're seeing an increase in men getting like tox and filler mm. and – skin facials and things like that. And I think sexual health for men is next. Because you guys have a lot of like medication for sexual health, right? Like, yeah. 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 And I feel like that's where, do do women have lots of medication for sexual health? Not really. Not really. It all comes down to to hormone imbalances and and adjusting those things. And, And I think with, obviously, when you're talking about men's medication, there's a, a function that you're trying to, there's a target with women's sexual health, I think it's a lot more complex. Yes. And so much more rooted in in hormones. Yeah. Well, at the moment for women, there's like obviously like O-shot, RF internal, m chair and things mm. like that. For men, they now have like the P-shot, you've got Scrotox, you've got filler. So they're all a little bit invasive. Mm. There's also the m chair, which actually can be used for men. Yeah. But I have heard that there are developments in the men's sexual health. Right. Okay. And so I think really what you're talking about is uh, a change in the social aspect because uh, yeah, okay, yeah, it's, maybe. it's really more yeah. about that because people are just willing to have the conversation now. And if they're willing to have the conversation, then people are going to be willing to develop treatments. I think a lot of people just haven't looked at that space because there was no demand for it. Yeah. But now I think there is demand. Hmm. Anything specific that you've heard of? There was, but I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I think in a lot of aspects, they're going to take what has been developed already in women's sexual health and see, can it just be applied directly to the men's side? And so therefore things like the P shot, which is essentially the O shot, but it's, you know, used for men. And then I think you're going to start to see some more specific. Yeah. For like erectile dysfunction and things like that, which I think is great. Mm. I don't really have much to say on it because I I don't really know that it's like such a new field, but I just think that's going to be up and coming. Mm. And then next one would be bioremodeling, biostimulating, all yep. of those. Like I know they're really hot at the moment, mm. but I feel like there's going to be more brands coming out with their own version yep. and I think they're going to be elevated. And I think it's all about, again, stimulating your own collagen as opposed to popping like dermal fillers yep. and things like yep. that into the face. And I think, you, again, I say prep the canvas. So you work on your internal health. Anything you do on the outside is going to be better. 
All right. Well, that's me. I only had two things to talk about, (laughs) but I definitely think your regenerative medicine is super interesting and we should definitely do a deep dive into the Mm. specifics of like exosomes, UCF, TP, all separately. All the different acronyms. All the different. Are they all the same thing? (laughs) No, no, no. They're they're different. But it's just that, you know, everything's got Uh, an acronym now. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I'm really excited about this space. I think as other people start to work on it, we're going to have a lot more discussions and dialogues with people. And I think across the rest of the podcast, we're always going to be bringing, it's always going to be there. Mm. You know, we're always going to be talking about it with whatever we do in this industry. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode on the future of aesthetics. All of the information will be in the description bar below and we'll see you in our next episode. Bye. Bye.